0: Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The O.C. Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Man, you guys look amazing. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you look awesome. Turn to your second choice and say, You too. You too. Man, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you that are new with us today, my name is Carrie. My wife and I are some of the pastors here at the Movement Church. And man, we're just so stoked to sit, spend our Sunday with you. We're so glad you, you were honored us with your presence today. And we got some great things in store for you as we dive back into the sermon series we've been in for a few weeks now. But I just want to tell you about a couple things happening before I dive in. And I don't know if you're if you're new here, you may not realize it, but there's a lot of things going on here at the Movement Church. We're about so much more than just Sundays. In fact, we would tell you that church happens between Sundays. And we've got connect groups that are meeting throughout Orange County at different times of the week, just growing in their faith and People being ordinary, real, authentic people, just saying, "How do I become more like Jesus every day?" But we also have some stuff happening right now uh, in a different continent. We have a church in Africa, which is pretty awesome. Actually, they met a little bit earlier; they're, we're, they're about they're ahead of us. But uh, we have a feeding site there where we feed 400 kids every week uh, at great meal every day, and you're a part of that, sponsoring that. But We're just honored today uh, right here in our midst. We have an amazing couple that is visiting with us today all the way from Africa. They're missionaries there. Uh, Would you just do me a favor? Would you wave? This is Jerry and Karen Holti. Would y'all give them a movement church applause? Come on, like you mean it real quickly. There it is. We're so grateful for the two of you. And uh, these guys have been serving for years in Africa. And our missionaries on the ground working with Children's Cup, they are where a integral part to training the young man who's the pastor at our church there. He was equipped and ready to take the job because of this amazing couple. They, In a season where so many people are striving to find comfort, they said, no, we're going to the mission field. And uh, we're going to go into a place where so many people are forgotten and overlooked in a country that 55% of it is uh, riddled with HIV and AIDS. And they just said, we're gonna give our life to helping reach a child who might be forgotten and building the church. So we're just so grateful and honored to have you come on Movement Church one more time. Would y'all help me in welcoming them? If you get a chance, talk to them afterwards. It'll, you'll leave more inspired than the message I'm about to preach. I'll tell you that right now. When I grow up, I want to be just like these two. And I, I don't even know if it's possible, but they're a great couple. So we're grateful for them. And, and honestly, there's some great things happening. In fact, we are so stoked. We've been telling you about it for the last few weeks. This coming fall, on our anniversary, September 15th, when we celebrate seven years, we are launching three services. Come on, Movement Church. <laughs> We are so excited. And listen, the mission of the Movement Church has never changed. We've always been about inspiring the one who's far from God to find life in Christ and life in the church. In a county with chock full of 3.2 million people, where under 10% actually attend church, which means 2.7 million people are outside the doors of this building just looking for hope, just looking for purpose, just looking for community. And every time we watch the, the, the statistics, we watch the trends, and we're about to go into our next major growth season this fall, and it became obvious that if we don't increase opportunities, then we might lose opportunities to reach people who need Jesus the most. So I'm so excited. September 15th, we're launching three services, but listen, you have a part to play. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a part to play. How many of you hate it when you get told to turn to your neighbor? Raise your hand right now. It's my favorite thing to do on the planet. (laughs) You have a part to play. Let me just get some business here real quickly. Number one, hey, listen, if you're not on the dream team, jump on the dream team. To pull off another service is going to require a whole new team of people who are out there greeting, parking cars, playing instruments, helping inspire children, running the tech booth and cameras and sound. And, and we didn't even realize it, but we have that team already, and they're right here in this room, and it's you. So if you're not on the team, jump on a team. It's a rotation. It, it Just literally every other week, or you let us know what's going to work, and you jump on, and you be you. We don't want anybody else but you because you is awesome. Turn your neighbor and say, you is awesome. 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 Get your grammar straight. You are awesome. So jump on the team. Now, listen, if you're on the team, I've got a big ask. I got a big ask. Make sure you say that correctly. I got a big ask for you. If you're on the team, here's what I'm going to ask. For 90 days, would you serve one service and sit one service every week for 90 days? Here's why. We're going to build this team, but we've got about 82 people left to go. And it's okay. Don't be afraid. It's going to be awesome. 82 people left to build the team. And so until we fully fill the team, I need some of you to step up and say, yeah, I can do that. It's a sacrifice, I know. But I'm asking for 90 days, if you'll serve one, sit one every week. And here's what I promise. God will be faithful. Listen, seven years ago, this church didn't exist. And there was 22 adults in my little condo living room. And I just said, hey, this is going to be awesome. Megan was like, we're believing church is going to be great. And it didn't even exist yet. And we were like, please, Jesus, send some people. And on day one, 161 people showed up. And then a year or so later, we had to go to two services. And we needed 45 people. And I was like, come on, church. Will you serve one, sit one for 90 days? They said, yeah. And within 30 days, we had already filled the team And here we are two services these many years and now it's time to go to three. Why? So we can just add more work to a Sunday? No, because every empty seat around you represents somebody who needs to know the hope of who Jesus is. And every opportunity we can give them to experience who he is and we're going for it. Listen, we are not here to create comfortable Christianity. We are here to reach the one that is far from God, to help them find life in Christ and life in the church until every single person in Orange County has said yes to Jesus. So listen, this won't be the last service we launch. We'll be launching a fourth service soon. We'll be launching campuses soon. And so we're always gonna be on the bleeding edge of what God is doing. So buckle your seatbelts and get ready for the ride because this is what it feels like to change the world. Can I get an amen from an amazing church? That's it for us today. You got, I'm kidding. That was a sermon in and of itself. But here's what I wanna ask you to do. Everybody pull your phones out. Even if you're gonna fake it and lie to me, it's cool. My heart's just broken, but I'll get over it. If you're willing, if you're not on a team and you're willing to jump on a team or if you're on a team and willing to serve one, sit one for 90 days and maybe you can't do 90, but you can do 30, that's cool too. And, and here's the third thing. I wanna ask you to bring somebody, invite somebody to church every week. If you're willing to do this with us, text the word all in to the number on the screen and just fake it. If you want to do beep, boop, boop, boop that's fine. That's the international, I'm not texting noise. And uh, text all in and our team will follow up with you. I'm just saying, listen, there's a time for discussion. There's a time for action. And the time for action is now. We're headed at life speed towards eternity, and there's millions of people outside the doors of this theater who are desperate for hope, but you know what? It isn't the millions. It's the one that you go to work with. It's the one that lives on your street. It's the one that's in your family, and God puts you there on purpose. So jump in. Go all in with us. Is that cool? Awesome. Can I transition into our sermon today? Yeah. Thank you, thank you for giving me permission. I didn't need it. Let's dive back into week number five of Grown up faith. Are y'all loving this series yet? It's a series all about helping answer life's big questions and building a solid foundation for our faith. Like how do we become solid in what we believe so that we can live that out in a day to day? And we we are pulling this from a, a book by a man named Kevin Myers called Grown Up Faith, and of course through the scripture. In fact, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter four, he said this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, Paul said, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to, what's that say? Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I believe it's God's heart for you and for me to grow up in our faith. Now listen, if you're here and you're not sure what you believe, permission to belong before you believe. But if you're here and you're a Christ follower Man, I believe it's a mandate on our life that we take a step in our faith on a regular basis. Some of you might take baby steps like me. Some of you might be like my wife and you take giant steps, but the point is we are taking steps. It's God's heart that we grow up. That's his design for us. So this series has three big objectives. We're teaching on Sundays, we're connecting in connect groups, and we're reading through the book, but the series has three big objectives. Number one is that my mind is rooted in biblical truth, not the truth that the culture says is truth, not the truth that media says is truth, but God's truth for my life, that it becomes the rudder for the ship of my life. Does that make sense? The second objective is that my heart is engaged in spiritual intimacy, not just the stale rigors and forms of religion, but that I'm actually active in a relationship with Jesus, a closeness to the person of who he is. And when that happens, I believe that my will will follow in holy obedience. So I'm shifting the way that I think, I'm engaging in a spiritual relationship, and the natural response should be that the Holy Spirit speaks and I'm obedient. That's the heart for us in this series. I'm gonna pray for us as we dive in. Here's my challenge as I pray. My prayer is that every single one of us in this room would just lean in to what God wants to say. I woke up this morning after I was done studying, I just pushed my computer to the side, and I just said, God, what do you wanna say to me today? I don't wanna just fall into the forms of religion, but daily I want God to have a tight grip on my heart, he's leading, and here's the thing, he's always leading. The question is, am I following? So let me pray for us today. God, we just thank you that you're here. Oh, May we look to you, as the Bible says, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You are working for our lives, in and through our lives and behind the scenes. So God, today, help us to follow in obedience to whatever it is that you want to say. In the mighty and the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. And that just means, I agree. Thank you, church, for helping me out. Have you ever been half in or half out on things where you're you're kind of both a little bit in and a little bit out? Like when somebody invites you to a party and you're like, kind of want to say yes, but I may not want to go, you know what I'm talking half in, half out, or, or maybe you watch a, a, a team that you follow, how many of you are thankful that fall is coming, and bum, 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 football season, anybody else, okay, the real believers do, so I'm excited, football season around the corner, but you ever watched a player, and he's half in, half out, like maybe he hasn't finalized his contract yet, and so he's just not giving it all that he's got right now, and you're just so frustrated, or Or maybe, maybe you've experienced or you have been half in, half out in marriage. Like kind of fully there, but not really. Like I kinda wanna be invested. I kinda wanna work on the things inside of me and be what you need, but I also kinda wanna be what I I'm gonna do me. I wanna be what I need. Or half in, half out on dating, like kind of committed, but not fully committed. Maybe half in, half out on your budget. Maybe you did Financial Peace University, and you put a budget in Excel spreadsheet, baby, and you thought that because you put the numbers on a screen that it would automatically make your budget work, but if you don't actually follow the process, right, are you, talking, you feel what I'm talking about right now? You can have a budget in a file on a computer somewhere, but if you're not actually doing and working the budget, you're half in, half out, and then you don't have the money you're hoping to have. Are you tracking me? Anybody else in here? You ever been half in, half out with fitness? Maybe you're working out like a beast and you're also eating like a beast. Can I get an amen? And you're just like, why, what happened? And all of a sudden you realize your metabolism is dead and you wake, no, that's too much information. I apologize. Half in, half out, right? It's this idea that there's a lot of effort and not a lot of results. A lot of effort and not a lot of results. Half in, half out is costly. I gotta expend a lot of energy, but the result, the payoff isn't working. And I just wanna challenge you that a half in, half out is a dead faith as well. And my fear is that, that so many of us wrestle with that in our relationship. We give God most of us, but not quite all of us. I'm obedient in the areas that are convenient, but not in the areas that I'm struggling with. And it's a half in, half out. And you need to know that God went all in for you. He went all in for you. I love what 1 Peter 2 9 says in the New Living Translation, but you are a chosen people. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're chosen. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I love this. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Verse 10 says, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you chosen. You chosen. You are set apart. You are chosen. You're set apart. But listen, people are still asking the question. People in our world are asking the question, why don't Christians look different from everybody else? We're exploring the 10 big questions that all of humanity is asking through the book a Grown Up Faith by Kevin Myers, and this is one of the major questions. Why don't Christians look different from everybody else? If you're chosen, if you're set apart, why is it that Christians don't look different from everybody else? And I think it's a valid question. The answer is, we should look different. We should, there should be different aspects to our life, but the problem is so many of us, and I'm not talking about the people outside of the room now, but I'm talking about us in here, so many of us have chosen a half-in, half-out faith. And so the reflection of our life is not a distinction, but rather it looks like everyone in the world that we live in. And as a Christian, I'm called to battle sin, not settle in it. I'm called called to battle sin, not settle into sin. And that's where the distinction lies. The good news is you need to know that in the eyes of God, God looks at you as different. You see, when he sees you, he sees someone different. When he sees Michael, besides just seeing an amazing, good-looking man who's an awesome husband and father, man, yeah, come on, with a crazy past, he sees Michael through the eyes of what Jesus did for him. Now, he can look, Michael can look through his past and see all the problems and all the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups, but he had a moment where he said yes to Jesus, and now the work that Jesus started and finished on the cross is the righteousness for Michael when God sees him, he's like, yeah, what's up, bro? And now his wife might see the imperfections, but that's not important for today. But God sees Michael through the lens of, man, this guy, his unholy nature has been reunited with God because of Jesus. Reunited, and it feels so... Oh, come on, y'all are way better than first service. (laughs) Michael's been made holy before God. So when people are asking the question... What they really mean is why isn't there a clear distinction? Why is it why isn't there a clear distinction? Jesus obviously was challenged with this and frustrated because he prayed for his church. In John 15, he said this: My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. So I'm not, don't don't take them out of the world, God, but that you protect them from the evil one. For they are not of the world as much as even I am not of the world. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them, which is a growing up, by the truth. And your word is truth. I love how Jesus did that. He always comes back to the fact that God's given us the answers and the insight and the information that we need in his word. But he says we are to be in the world and not of the world. We're to be in the world and not of. Of the world, I want to illustrate this for you today and I've got an image with four quadrants or four uh, squares and I, I just want to kind of illustrate this and here's what I want to challenge you to try to identify where you fit into this illustration. Now not your neighbor, not the person you brought with you, but you specifically because I think Jesus is trying to get us to grow up in our faith and I think most of us don't realize it, but slipping into a half in half out Christianity is way too easy in the world that we live in today. So he says we're to be in the world and not of the world. So the first quadrant is that we are in the world, and the second is that we are not in the world. In, meaning that we are relationally engaged with people in our world who are not believers. I don't know if you realize this, but we live in a fallen world with people who are not relationally connected to Christ. We live in a world where people don't value the truth of God's word as truth. And what he's saying is that we're to be in the world relationally engaged with the people who don't have the same values that we have. But the other quadrant is not in. And this is to be relationally separate from the people in our world. I'm not going to engage or connect with people who are not followers of Christ. This is an environment that I grew up in. I grew up in an environment at a great home with a mom and dad who loved the Lord and loved each other and they were working so hard to keep us from experiencing the issues of life that we were inundated and completely surrounded with everything quote unquote Christian. We had a Christian educational environment, our entire social construct was merely within church, so everything was this. Not that they hated the world, but they said, we're not going to be in the world, we're going to separate ourselves from it. The third quadrant is where Jesus said we are, not, are to be in the world, but not of the world. So here we see this, to be of the world is to settle into sin, is to make it acceptable. It's living with no distinction from the world around us, as we've talked about in the previous series It's the idea that Jesus said, this sin is poisonous, but we called it harmless. The next quadrant is not of the world. And this is where we battle sin and we practice holiness. So these four quadrants means that there are four groups of people. Can we dive into this this morning? So I want you to identify which one you might be. Four groups of people. Four groups of, if you will, of Christians. So, first we have those that are in the world and of the world, which means they're relationally connected to the world, but they're also uh, buying into the values that the world and the culture say are true. So, they're in the world and of the world. And Jesus called this group worldly. This is the same phrase that Jesus used describing these individuals. The next group would be not in the world, but of the world, and Jesus called this group Pharisees. See, so they would not hang around sinners, but they ended up living just like them over and over again. And when Jesus would interact with Pharisees, he would call them whitewashed sepulchers. He said, You have the appearance of godliness, but you're nothing but an empty tomb. So you're completely separate, but you've slipped into the same sin. So you are not in the world, but you are of it. The next group are those that are in, but not of the world. Which is Christ. And that's the goal of Christianity to be relationally, look at me, relationally engaged, but not settling into sin, rather battling it. Yeah. Acknowledging the fact that there are real challenges and real challenges within, but I'm not going to settle into them, I'm going to battle it. I'm relationally engaged and I'm battling sin, not settling into it. And this is where Jesus lived. Over and over again, if you read the scripture and follow his life, he was found in the home of reprobates and sinners. And the religious leaders of Orange County would, I mean, of that day would circle around and be so angry with him that he would have the audacity to hang out with someone who was unclean and imperfect and a sinner. And This is where he was found. But in every story where Jesus would encounter those that were hurting and broken and lost and reprobate, something shifted in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jesus would be relationally engaged, but he would never conform. Yeah. So good. The tax collector, Zacchaeus, stood up from the table and he pushed back just from an encounter with him and he said, everything I've stolen, I'll give it back. I'm gonna change. The woman caught in adultery... He said, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. He said, neither do I can accuse you, but go and sin no more. That woman was counted amongst the ranks of Jesus' disciples for the duration of his ministry. Many scholars believe she was the one that was first to the grave and encountered Jesus after his resurrection. So he was in the world, but not of the world. The next quadrant would be those that are in and not of the world. So, I'm not relationally connected, but I do battle sin. And this group, we'll just call them monks, completely separated. So, I'm not gonna be in the world, but I'm also gonna battle it. I'm just gonna separate completely. And what? Y'all got a kick out of that first service. Like, that makes sense. You guys laugh. So, what he's saying here is that we're, we're not called to be Pharisees. Jesus didn't call us to be Pharisees where we're not in the world, but we're of it. And the word Pharisee literally means separate. You see, they would hang out. They would not hang out around sinners, but they battled or settled into pride. So they thought they were holier than thou because the things that they did, they thought would make them holy. So they would separate, look down their nose and condemn those people. And they, they were not in the world, but they were of it. The outside was different, but the inside was wicked. And that's why Jesus called them, you blind hypocrites. I was on a plane not too long ago. And I don't know if you fly often, but there's kind of this this understood law with everyone except for the, a few people. <laughs> like if you have your earbuds, earbuds in, you just let me be, don't talk to me. And then some people just ignore that rule. flow hey, fly, know what I'm talking about? And so every time I sit down, usually by the time we reach cruising altitude is when they feel like they need to ask me what it is I do. You know, it's an awkward conversation because if you look at each other, your noses are touching, so you look straight ahead. And you're like, oh, okay, great, great. Are we going home for business? You know what I'm talking about? And so it always gets to this place like, so what do you do for a living? And then I have to decide if I want to lie or tell the truth based upon how much interaction I want to have with this individual afterwards. Don't judge me, second service. Goodness. So this lady asked me, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, great. What type of church? Oh, we're a non-denominational Christian church. She was like, oh, that's great. I'm a Christian. I just don't believe the Bible is God's word. And I don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I was like, What was that? I'm a Christian. I just don't believe the Bible is God's word and Jesus is the only way to heaven. I said, I don't don't think. I don't think you understand how this works. So we, you know, I punched her in the face. She got saved. No, I'm kidding. Here's the point. You can say you're a Christian but not be following Christ. You can can say you're a Christian but not be following Christ. So what does it mean to follow Christ? It means I, I don't settle into sin. We've we got to stop calling what God called poison as harmless. I don't settle into sin. Paul would say it this way. We have to put off the old self and put on the new self. The grace and forgiveness of Jesus was to free us not from, to free us from sin, not for sin. So when Jesus gave us grace and forgiveness, it was to free us from our sin, not that we could go right back into it. Does that make sense? In Ephesians four, Paul says this, verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your, what's that say? Old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and verse 24 says this, and to put on your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Sin is destructive. It still destroys whether or not you are a believer. And Paul is saying, you got to put off your old self and put on my new self. Listen, if we think that following Christ gives me permission to live in my old self, we got the wrong doctrine. Grace that makes sin seem harmless is not God's grace. He said, this is poisonous. This is sin. Sin equals death. And we continually over and over again call it harmless. We're called to battle sin, not settle into it. Now listen, let me just give you some some ease here for a moment. It's okay if you stumble or fumble the ball or fall into sin. But when we do as a follower of Christ, our response is not to justify it, but to repent. I I don't want this anymore. This is my old self creeping back in. I, I don't like this on the inside and I... Even though there are times I want the old self, God, I'm sorry. I want to walk in the new self that you created for me. There's a growing up process to our faith. It's a putting off of the old and a putting on of the new. Putting off of the old self and putting on of the new. Can I just tell you, I'm working on this all the time. I've been following Jesus since October 6, 1986. And I'm still working on this whole old self, new self thing. You know when it surfaces the most is in traffic. <laughs> you, know, you know him, huh, Mel? Yeah. in the carpool lane and the guy in front of you is going slower than the rest of traffic. That will be hell for eternity. And you can't change lanes. You just have to sit behind them. If I had a flamethrower, I would torch their car don't judge me I've prayed that someone would invent digital signs on every side of your car so you could type what you're thinking about them why are you saying no it's all healthy thoughts like God bless you get out of my way (laughs) the motorcycles are split in the lanes and you're stuck and you just want to open your door for a second you thought it too okay I'm not alone All right, I'm not alone y'all are horrible horrible and it's funny to talk about in traffic because it seems kind of harmless, but you know where else I struggle with the old self and the new self is in my thought life. Like if you could plug an HDMI cable up to my brain and we project it, I would never come back to the church. Like some of the things that I think, I just think, man, are you camped out over here in the old self? Like that's the hard one for me. I don't know what, what part of your old self you still struggle with, but man, that's a rough one for me, and I've been in this game for a while, and then Jesus came in, and he said, this can't be the distinction of your life. See, when we live in the old self, even if we try to hide it, if it's on the inside, it will surface. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can try to hide sin, you can try to hide the corrosiveness of it, but it will seep out and permeate into every part of your relationships. And that's why people are asking the question, why aren't Christians different from everyone else? And Jesus came in and said, I recognize there's an old self. He never said, you're an idiot if you go back to the old self. He just said, daily, you got to get rid of the old self. He said, the thing that should be the distinction for your life are called the fruit of the spirit. Love should permeate through everything you say, think and breathe and do. Joy should permeate peace and patience. No one loves patience. The only time you need patience is when life sucks. Can I get an amen? When it's amazing, like, I'm so patient right now. Yeah, what are you doing? I'm at the beach. Great. I don't know why I apologize. Let's take that off the podcast. When when I'm walking in the fruit of the Spirit, it's like I'm taking steps away. I'm putting off the old self and walking into the new self. It's the evidence that I'm a Christ follower the evidence that I am a Christ follower is that I'm battling sin and I'm not settling in my old self. We're not called to be Pharisees. We're not called to be worldly. We're called to be like Christ. We're called to be like Christ. And battling sin is what creates the distinction. It's what sets me apart. The good news is I don't have to set myself apart. I don't say, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. And please don't. If you do that, don't invite people to our church. Send them to another one. All I got to do is just live in obedience. And when I do that, that permeates through every conversation. And that's when people say, I don't know what it is that you have, but I want that. They recognize because there's a distinction. It's a set apart. Listen, hear this. Transformation is when I take the big principles of God and I translate them into the little practices of life. The big principles and I translate them into the little practices Of life. John wrote this to the church. He said in 1 John chapter 2, he said, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Like The goal is that we're not walking in sin. You can never remove sin from your life because you were born into sin. But to sin occasionally is very different than to walk in sin. He said, I'm writing this to you so that you do not sin. But he goes on and he brings back the grace of who Jesus is. He says, but if anyone does sin, when it happens... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. So when I sin, uh, the response should be repentance. I'm not losing my salvation. The response should be repentance. But listen to me repentance is not asking for forgiveness, repentance is turning. It's saying, okay, I, I want the old self. I want that right now so bad. But God, I, I'm here again and I'm sorry. I'm walking back towards this new self. I want my mind rooted in biblical truth. And God, I want you to hold my heart in your hand that, that when it beats, it's because it's beating for what you want it to beat for. And God, I just pray that then my, my response would be to, to follow in holy obedience. And you know, David prayed this prayer. He said, create in me a clean heart, oh God. And when I read that for the first time in a revelationary moment, it was so, it was like a breath of fresh air because for me, everything in life I have to hustle for. Y'all are naturally gifted. I'm not. Like I have to work hard for relationships. I have to work hard to get good at things. It, it is a, The struggle is real. My wife wakes up, and it's like, awesome. Not for your boy, Carrie. Anybody else with me on that? Okay, man. We'll start a connect group for each other. So this old self, man, it's rough for me. It is. Like, like Paul said at one point, he said, The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I want to do, it just seems so impossible. I mean, I relate to that. And so for me to follow Christ, it takes work daily. So when David said, created me a clean heart, it was like, oh, okay, good. Somebody else gets it. It was this prayer that David prayed where he said, I don't know if I'm strong enough to put off my old self on my own. He said, I don't know if I have what it takes. He said, God, would you help create in me this clean heart? Some of you need to be freed with that today. It's okay if it's a struggle for you too. One of the greatest scriptures is that it says that God is not slow as some kind of slowness. He is patient toward you. So whether you're taking baby steps away from the old self or giant steps, God's like... Way to go. You're crushing the game. And when you're weak, I'm strong. I'll help you with this. The point is, I'm not walking towards my old self. I'm walking towards my new self. Being a Christian never has been and never will be a license to sin. We got to get our theology right. It's time to grow up. It's not a license to sin. It's not being a hypocrite as a Christian when you display imperfection, when you stumble into sin. Just recognizing that you need Jesus. Hypocrisy is thinking that because of something I do, I have earned righteousness. Jesus became righteousness for you. That's why when he sees Michael, he sees the perfection of Christ because Jesus became righteousness for him. You can't earn that. He gave it to you. That, look at me, is called grace. Stop abusing grace. That begs the next question that Kevin Myers is unpacking and we're talking through is who needs the church? Well, the answer is easy. Everyone needs the church because the church is people. It's not a building. When Jesus crawled onto the cross, you see, we talked about this the last few weeks. The way to righteousness used to be through the path of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where the presence of God was. It was called the temple of God. But when Jesus died, he bridged the gap so that you and I can be engaged in spiritual intimacy with God. And now we are the temple of God, we are the church. It isn't Laguna Hills High School Theater. Hey guys, by the way, the Movement Church is not on a mission to get into a building. We're on a mission to reach people. Hopefully a building's in the future, but it won't just be for us. We'll be launching campuses, so somebody's going to be portable for a while. So just get used to it. Why? Because we're not here for cushy seats and comfort. We're here to get closer to who Jesus is and to help those that are outside the doors of this church find out who he is. So when we ask the question, who needs the church? Everyone people. It's not a building. It's you and me and we need each other. We need each other. We don't have the church to help us battle sin. Then we get sucked back into living worldly. That's why Jesus said in John 17, holy father, keep them in your name, which you have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. We need each other. We are a church. We are the church knit together in the world but not of the world. We need each other. That's what the church is. John 15. He says, "These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another." That's the distinction that should be in us. That's the defining thing about what it is to being all in. We are the church. God's working in of us. in us. None of us are perfect. Some of us are a little bit jacked up. A lot of you are a lot bit jacked up. Can I get an amen? But we need each other. I think about my friends, Jonathan and Ruth Meltzer. A few weeks back, found out they were pregnant and went in for their second doctor's appointment, did a sonogram, and there was no heartbeat. It was devastating. I said, okay, listen, we're going to come back in in a week, and we're going to finalize this process. And they immediately got on the phone texting some friends on their team, another good reason to be a part of the team. Yeah, yeah. People started praying all around. Went back in the next week preparing their heart for the grief. They did one more sonogram and there was a heartbeat. It was faster than that, though. That baby was alive. Thank God for the church praying with them. Fast forward a few weeks, they went in again. There were some complications. A cyst was found on the baby's brain. They text the team, be praying. Went back again. Doctors said, hey, I think this is gonna be okay. I think the cyst will fall off. I think we got a couple more checks to find out. They find out the answer on Monday. You know what? The Melters needed the church. And we pray believing for the outcome, but that's not the goal. The, out, the goal is that when life hits you, we remind each other you are not alone. You are not alone. And you may not be in the Meltzer seat of the bus. Maybe you're on the strong side of it. Then you need to be the person rallying around those that are hurting within the church. You are not alone. We need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need each other. Turn to your other neighbor and say, we need each other. Tap the person in front of you and say, we need each other. Listen, if you need me and I need you, there's a song in there somewhere. Doesn't it stand to reason that the people who are not in this room yet need the church too? In the third century, there was this great movement, and after great persecution, Rome finally established the Christian church as the church of Rome. So everyone in the empire were Christians, meaning no one was really a Christian. And this group of men decided, we've got to shift some things, We we are not called to be of the world, so we got to separate. And they separated themselves from everything. And they were called monks. And they literally walked like Christ, like completely devoted. They would pray for hours upon hours and hours and dive into the scripture and unpack some things and even some of their writings are some of the best writings to this day. But they were becoming more and more like Christ and yet further and further away from the people who needed Jesus the most. So what good does it do anyone if I love the Lord and he's shaping and forming me, yet nobody hears of it? We're never called to be Pharisees or worldly, nor are we called to be monks. We're called to allow God to do something on the inside, to follow Christ, and to make sure that my life is a reflection of who he is, but then to be light into darkness. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, not your neighbor, not your friend. You are the light of the world. God chose you. I don't know why, but he did. And he chose me to be light into darkness. Why? Because I'm constantly putting off my old self and putting on my new self, putting off my old self and putting on my new self. God's doing something, stirring something in my life. And as a result, I'm getting freed from the things that used to hold me up, the things that were leading to divorce, the things that were leading to bondage, the things that were leading to a place of a prison within my soul, and now I'm stepping into the fullness of what God has to me. I'm being awakened to what God is doing, and guess what? 2.7 million people outside these doors need to know the story of your life. You are light in darkness. If we're not careful, we'll become just like those monks, and we'll make following Christ about us Oh, we'll make church only about us. Let me tell you how that surfaces. Well, Why are we going to three services? Seems to be enough room right now. You want me to serve? No, no, I, I love it. Somebody else can help out with that. From, I'm, I'm tired and I'm exhausted. But we make church about us and we hear sermons like this and we start to feel that thing on the inside and then we try to leave as fast as we can. Because it just... We prefer the comfort of showing up, and we forget that God crafted and molded you in your mother's womb for this moment and this time in history, and placed you in a neighborhood and at a workplace and in a family and with friends and a social construct, not so that you could be darkness and darkness, but so you could be light that the distinction of who Christ is would begin to shift and change some things on the inside and that we would bring light into a dark world. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He talked about himself being the great physician. He said, I'm not looking for those that are well, but I'm looking for those that are sick. And you might say, well, I feel like I'm a little sick maybe, but you aren't as sick as you used to be. Everyone needs the church. Let me ask you a couple questions. Kind of conclude this whole message if we can today and maybe just to allow the Holy Spirit to do some work in your life right now. Are you half in and half out in your relationship with Christ? Kind of playing that game where surrendering sometimes but not all the time. Are you half in and half out in your relationship with Christ? Where in your life are you settling in sin rather than battling it? We're all navigating that at some point in time in our life and probably on a regular basis. Where are you settling into sin rather than battling it? I'm not talking about striving for, perfect, for, for perfection, but pursuing transformation. Are you living for yourself? Where, where have you made life all about you? Or are you living for others? Are you all in for others because Jesus went all in for you? I just want to pray for us as a congregation today and just challenge you to lean into what God is saying in this moment. God, we just thank you that you're up to something big. Lord, we don't want to be half in, half out. God, we really want to pursue the purposes that you have for us in every level. Help us to see the areas where we're settling in sin rather than battling it. God, help us to see the areas where we are living for ourselves rather than living for others. We thank you for going all in for each of us in this room. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Everybody look at me for one more second. We're almost done today, but I want to talk to those of you in the room that maybe today is about you beginning the journey with Jesus. He went all in for you. The Bible says that Jesus counted it joy to get on the cross and take the payment and the penalty for your sin and shame and for mine he counted it joy he had your face in mind, and he said you're worth it but there's a starting point not church membership not getting your life right but just simply saying yes to him and if you've never begun that journey in a moment I'm going to give you a chance to do just that and look at me right here in the eyes everybody in the room some of you in this room prayed a prayer like that but you've been living with your old self and today I want to challenge you pray that prayer with me and repent, saying, God, I'm coming back to you. Don't let this moment pass. Would you do me a favor, by your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, or it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time, just make this prayer your own in the quietness of your own heart or a small whisper. Just say, Dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. I'm not perfect, God. Would you forgive me? Make this statement your own. Say, Jesus, I give you my life.